0: WSBT you radio can listen to Budweiser's Sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio hey. app. Welcome to just slash WSBT, WSBT sports radio Sportsbeat. in the App Store and play. Google Play. Major, now, back to local sports talk on, on Sports Speed for noted your football. host, not Darren Fritch.
1: 617 number. at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSB. So we'll get to Mike Singer in a couple of minutes. i got to be quick in this segment. But the college football selection playoff committee will unveil its latest top 25 later tonight, probably right around nine o'clock after the first of two matchups at the United Center in college basketball that ESPN is airing tonight. So if I had my say, who's in my top six? At number 6, I've got the Oregon Ducks out of the Pac-12. They are my highest-ranked, one-loss team with Texas and Alabama close behind. The Ducks defeated USC last Saturday, 36-27. They closed the season at Arizona State and a rivalry game at home against a very good Oregon State team. At number five, I still have Ohio State. Yeah, I'm the one person still pulling out the thought that this football team is going to get exposed by Michigan. They've got a, a nice resume right now beating Penn State and Notre Dame. And we welcome you to the Budweiser's Weekdays. Buckeyes are 10 and 0. They took care of Michigan Tuesday, State November 38 the 14th. to three. of 2000 they close with Minnesota at home this week and then I'm Darren at Michigan, joined by my co-host for the 5 Four. o'clock hour, ABC I've got the Washington 57s. Huskies. They are 10 and, and 0. They've Haven't doing their best football, football the last couple of weeks. Of the next hour. But a very nice home run over Utah US on Saturday the i 30 twenty We'll wrap up They're the Oregon State and host Washington State. I've got State at, at number three, the on they 15. beat Miami Radio. at home 27-20, the they close with North Alabama football. at Florida, and then on the, other side of the, the ACC game, championship Michigan is game. Michigan is my number two team at 10-0, they defeated Penn State without throwing a pass over the well, last up 37 on the minutes of the evening. game, we have tells our, you a lot about Penn State, Penn State. Opening, Mason, State. Mason Blue won 24-15, they're at Maryland, and then home against Ohio State, and I moved Georgia up to number one this week. A convincing the win between defense, the Hedges over Ole Miss, 52-17. Tennessee got drilled by Missouri and Columbia. Where That's where Georgia is. goes next at Tennessee. And then they close at Georgia Tech. Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football question of the, of the day, day. Next as, as up, next sorry about that. I, I had things in automation for a second there, so now Fair we're nice. back in good shape. So... We will also have a Twitter question of the day as I'm going to try to have you help fix the Irish offense by giving you four choices, which of these four things would help the offense the most. You can vote on it on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. And of course, we'll talk about it in just a little bit. In the six o'clock hour, Mike Singer will join me, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. A lot of conversation on Deuce Night, the 2025 quarterback commit, plus some other details on the recruiting weekend. And we have our sports wagering segment at the end of the show. Last night I went 3-1, should have just stuck with Monday Night Football. Those three hit, the college basketball did not. So we'll have that segment at the end of the show. And then it's Wake Up the Echoes, the Notre Dame show with guests. That'll come your way at 7 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. All five right, twelve is our time. And, Allison, we are winding down this football season. Oh, boy. Final home game, <laughs> believe it or not, is coming up on Saturday. Sam Hartman gets to face his old team. It's too bad that's not the focus right. of this game or the focus being they're still alive for a New Year's Six Bowl game. So when those are kind of pushed to the background because of – Really, one side of the football that continues to hold the team back, that's going to be the major storyline. And no matter the co-host I have in here this week, we're talking about...
2: That's the conversation. The
1: offense, because we just seem to be stuck in neutral. Yep. And it's just not going in a direction that makes you feel better. So, I'm trying to think. I've asked so many questions to so many different people this week. And I'm going to check, see if I'm asking you this later on. I'm not, because... I wanted, I, I'm having trouble. If the Irish look good the next two weeks on offense, how much of this do we give them credit for based on the opponents that they're playing? You know what I mean? I, yeah. I feel like after 10 weeks, we kind of know who they are. And playing two bad football teams, it feels like these teams are not as bad as USC defensively. But I don't know how much I can learn from these two games.
2: I don't think you can learn anything from them, honestly. I mean... The last two games are against inferior opponents, and we already know that Notre Dame plays well against inferior yeah. opponents. They did the, to start the season. The, where they've struggled is against good defenses, and yeah. uh, defenses that are in the top 40, uh, they've really struggled against, including Ohio State, Duke, and in and Louisville, and, and Clemson. Yep. And, there's a, a huge drop off from averaging 41 points per game to averaging in the 20s against those top defenses. And so, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to learn much of anything in these last two games. You, hopefully, they can, you know, they finish strong and they have, they at least give the appearance of riding the ship. Uh, but I, I don't yeah. think it really makes much difference at that point.
1: Maybe to some people, it'll be like, all right, this is progress. But to me, I'm just kind of stuck in the mindset they are who they are at this point and if they put up big points well they're probably going to i mean brennan armstrong became the quarterback at nc state again last week and they put up 26 and that's an offense that was really scuffling when armstrong was the quarterback. So I'm Debbie Downer. I'll admit it.
2: Well, one thing I was disappointed about this week on Notre Dame was just that they didn't make Sam Hartman available to the media tonight. Really? No. I had not even noticed that. Last week they did, and when we saw him available last week, we were, like, in the newsroom, like, ah, no way. They're not going to make him available next week. And sure enough, and I get it. All the narrative and, you know, playing his old team and blah, blah, blah. But big deal. Like, you're you're the quarterback in Notre Dame. You're playing your old team. Like, that's a storyline. That could maybe change the focus a little bit and not make it just be on how bad the offense has been performing and allow us to have other conversation. But to control the narrative, again, is was disappointing.
1: Well, the elephant in the room is the fact the offense is broken, and if it was not broken, Sam Hartman would be meeting the media tonight. Plain and simple.
2: Yeah.
1: He They don't want him to have to – answer questions about jared parker and marcus freeman has stuck with his script over the last few weeks and we're going to get into some of his comments here on wsbt radio so allison let's go ahead and get started with our hat trick of opening topics tonight and on monday coach freeman was asked about audric Estime only getting three carries in the second half against clemson after he posted 84 rushing yards and the first half. So why only three carries for Audric Estime? This is what Marcus Freeman had to say.
3: I kind of wrote that down. I thought that would be asked. And, and you know, the first series um, he had one carry, that, and we had a TD, right? In the second series, we wanted to get Jay Love in there and, and do some different things. There was a series with Jadarian that we wanted to get in there. The biggest thing is we weren't having success on first down. And so, if you're not having success on first down, you're in a position where you probably have to throw the ball on second down. And if you're not getting a first down, then you can't sustain that drive, and so, it's it's more so the lack of efficiency on first down when you're going three out, three and out, or four and out that that really to me contributes to that. You know, Jay Love, we're going to get him a series. We're, I mean, he's a talented football player. We got to get the ball in his hands. Jadarian, we want to get him a series. You know, Audric was in there for for a. a maybe five series in the second half but and we did give him the ball but it was the lack of efficiency in in first down or second down that led to us okay we got to throw the ball here to try to get a first down and we weren't doing that
1: okay that was the coach's response to why estimate only had three carries in the second half i'll just simply say your thoughts
2: That's mind-boggling to me. I I just don't get that. Clemson seemed in the first half to have trouble defending the outside, the perimeter, and that's where he was having success. And then you go in the second half and you're giving the ball to Jabron Payne and having him try to go up the middle and getting nothing. So, I mean, I see you want to give the ball to Jadarian and to Jeremiah. Okay, but you still find a way to get it to the best Running back on your team, the best player on your team, and one of the best players in the country, and when that's been working all season, I just don't understand it. That his answer right there felt like a defeated, like, oh, well, if we didn't get a first down, now we got to just throw it in desperation and on all the rest of the downs, and then they, you know, punt. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. At least I will say this: at least it felt like he gave a little bit of an answer there. If you listen to that press conference yesterday, it was all questions back. just That's how, the, how do we yes. do this? How do, well, we're asking no you answers. right. <laughs> yeah,
1: there are no answers. That was, I said this to my listeners yesterday. listening to that press conference was a downer. Yes, it, it, it was a defeating press conference for me. And as someone that wants to see this team do well, sure. for the fans, for the show, for the station, for everybody, but i just when you don't hear answers that might help fix problems it just kind of feels like like i said we're stuck in neutral right right now and
2: and there's ways around like where you can give an answer without giving every detail coaches do it every day right but you can still have an answer that at least gives a little bit of perspective or, or whatever and and that is that's part of the job I understand that there are a lot of questions on this offense, and there are questions about play calling and and execution by the players, but you still, as as head coach, and I have a ton of respect for him, but you have to have some answers to the media, especially coming off of the bye week. Like You had a whole week to figure some of this stuff out, and, and that's still just all question marks. It's frustrating. I
1: think the part that wears on all of us, and I think I speak for the fans as well, as it's always the same script and there's never the mention of the offensive coordinator right maybe we should try a different scheme or or not scheme just try do something else with the scheme or adjust this or maybe call this play it's always on the players and as a player i think i would get awfully tired of hearing that personally why is this play not working what do we need to do so the players execute that play better you know sometimes when you run the football on first down 13 out of 15 times, the opposition figures, figures it, out. it out. Exactly. And I don't care. You can have the the best blocked play in the history of Notre Dame football. It may not work because the opposition is sitting on you. And when they are not in the least bit scared right. that no you're going to throw a play action pass, it's very easy to defend this football team, but yet it's on the players for not executing. And, I watched my Denver Broncos last night. They had a good running game going against Buffalo, and they used play action. They tried to throw deep shots. There weren't anything there, but they also used play action to dump off throws to the tight end or just to pick up 7, 8, 10, 12 yards. It doesn't have to be a 60-yard play to call a play action pass. They used it in order to move the sticks and to go from hundred and seventy three passing yards off play action against Pittsburgh to using two play action passes and 36 dropbacks, and you're telling me that all of a sudden we went from we need to take shots, well, we had to worry about moving the sticks. We can't go three and out. I mean, the message is so unclear from press conference to press conference. It's like the narrative changes to protect the offensive coordinator, and I hate to say that. But that's what it feels like to me.
2: Right. And then you question what is the message then if it's so – I mean, he's never going to say what he's saying to his players exactly to the media, and I get that. But what is, is there a clear message to the players then in the locker room? Is it just all being put on them every day in practice? And, and then, you know, what is their reaction to that?
1: Hmm. Well, let's go to another soundbite from yesterday. Coach Freeman was asked – about offensive coordinator Jared Parker, who had success early in the season against weaker competition, making game adjustments, and was very successful, including the NC State game, which has an outstanding defense. But ever since the NC State game, the in-game adjustments haven't been there, haven't worked. You describe it however you would like. And I think Pete Sampson asked this question. He was very first saying, hey, it was great early on, but lately, you know, things have been going so well. So Coach Freeman was asked about Parker's ability or inability to make in-game adjustments against the better competition.
3: I think, you know, if it was just one play call or something like that, I'm sure he would do it. It's, you know, how do we continue to have a game plan that we feel can be effective and make those small adjustments The answer isn't always plays, right? And and that's what I'm pushing both sides of the ball to understand is that the answer isn't always come up with another play, but it's the details within those plays that we got to make sure we make work. And uh, the performance is the performance. We have to be better, right? We have to uh, make sure first half, second half, the adjustments like we're efficient, we're moving the ball, we're changing the field position, and we're scoring points. Um, How to get that done it it's not a just a simple answer, right? It's it's okay, within the scheme of what we're doing, within the scheme of what our guys know how to do, how do we find why isn't why aren't we having success? That's the first. Why are we in this position? Why didn't we have success on these plays? And then what do we have to do to make sure we're successful? Right? And and it's not as simple as calling just a different play. Like that's I promise you, it's not like Madden. <laughs> you know, you call a better play and you're more efficient, but it's it's within our game plan, how do we make sure our guys are executing no matter what the look is you're seeing defensively that we can have success? That might be simplifying, right? That might be maybe changing formations, but doing the same type of thing so you can confuse the defense, but our guys understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it. And so um, it's not just a simple answer of calling a different game, but more so like let's figure out why we're not having success you know, on every single play and then, what do we have to do to make sure it might be throw it out? It might be at, make a small adjustment within the framework of this play, but um, what do we have to do to make sure we're more efficient um, on Saturdays?
1: And see, that kind of gets back to asking questions back right. to the BD rather than saying this. And there was an avoidance of putting anything on Jared Parker in the spot. We went back to simplifying, which we simplified the offense weeks ago. So I'm not. Sure, how much more simplifying you can do, but I would just like to see this football team be less predictable. And sure, I would love to see better execution because there were throws to be made in the Clemson game that were not hit. But when you're under siege all the time and put in some tough spots, you know, bad throws are going to happen. So I think this kind of goes back to what I started the show with. Sure. They are who they are. I mean, the questions continue to be asked by Marcus Freeman to the media. About these offensive problems. We're through 10 weeks. If you don't know by now. Right. Again, I just don't see how they're going to get fixed for the best competition. Now, we'll see probably a really good bowl opponent. But the next two games, I mean, these defenses are kind of for the taking.
2: Now, something that we had kind of touched on last week and we both had heard some rumblings about was that there was this kind of possibility that he was going to be making some changes at who would be doing play calling for these last couple of games. And we talked about that. And I just didn't really, I think that is not in Freeman, not to say he maybe shouldn't be making a change or giving someone else a a shot at some of this play calling. um, But I just didn't think that that was going to be in Freeman's nature to fire someone or demote someone in the middle of the season and I but I think a lot of folks were either hoping for it or expecting it and here we are you know heading into this next week and and it's same old same old.
1: Someone in the business sent me a message after the Clemson game and two things that kind of stood out. There were a lot of things, but two things that kind of play into our, what our conversation was. This person said Parker's offense is so predictable. When they're in 12 personnel with inline tight ends, they run 93% of the time. If that person knows that, right? do you think the opposition knows that? And they can set their defense up. I said this jokingly last night, but you don't need to steal Notre Dame signs. No. <laughs> we don't need stallion. If you're the opposition against Notre Dame, because they are at times very predictable so that's why i go back to the fact they are who they are in my mind i hope they play great football the last two weeks i hope they put up a lot of points but it's not going to change my thinking about 2024 so hope they play well because if they don't that's concerning And I'll just say this right now. Wait till you get to our Twitter question of the day (laughs) about the top storylines of the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game. What won convincingly? And I think it just offers a perspective of how the Irish fan base has kind of given up on this offense and the possibility that they could turn the corner. All right. So, assuming Notre Dame wins their last two regular season games as expected, how would you classify this irish season here are some examples you could call it successful not successful what i expected and this was brought up on a youtube show i was on would you call the notre dame season a failure since they've already lost three games so i guess allison in your own words how would you classify this irish season again assuming they take care of business against wake forest and stanford and they'll be nine and three going into their bowl game
2: I'm not dumping on the Irish, but I would, I would, my word for them was average. It's nine and three. That's where I thought I, that they would finish out when we were entering into this season Uh, as we were getting closer. And then as like, you know, those first couple of games and you're feeling really good about it, it's like, oh, maybe they'll go 10 and two. Maybe they'll just have the one loss. You know, it'll just be Ohio State. And then, um, but year after year, it's, it is what it is. We're, We're seeing Notre Dame being a, Two to three loss team every year. Ten wins was sort of a standard by Brian Kelly to his credit, uh, but then there's just not getting past that hump. And I did hope for a better season than what they've had, and especially with that start. I think if the start, I think if the, if it would have been structured differently, and maybe some of these tougher games would have been earlier on, it would have been a more realistic expectation. But when they're putting up forty points or more in those first four games, and it's like, ah, let's go. And then you get to Ohio State, and they played them really tough. And, okay, you can kind of overcome that and talk about that defense, blah, blah, blah. But then here we are. It doesn't matter. Once again, we're at 10 wins. And now, you know, you got to look, especially when you're looking at a bowl game, if you're going to get to that 10th win – you potentially could be playing LSU, and you'll potentially be playing them without Hartman, without Estime, without Joe Alt, some of the you know best players on the team, some of the best players in college football. And so that is more disheartening to me because then I, I don't trust – I don't know that Notre Dame could be LSU head-to-head offensively and outscore LSU with all of those best players playing in that game. If you don't have any of those guys playing – and then the bank, the O line's banged up. The, the everybody's hurt basically right now. I I would that's going to be a very very challenging task in a bowl game.
1: I bet you Hartman plays. I think everybody else you mentioned would not. I just wonder if Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, plays. Yeah, I, that's I don't know a good about point. his NFL draft stock, I yeah, I have not looked. But that's a guy that may not play. And if they don't have him, they are a totally different football team to say the least. You know, for me Allison, I picked them to go ten and two. And even though I'm gonna be wrong, they're gonna go nine and three, I would say it's a good solid season, not bad, not great, just yeah, kind of
2: that's what I said, average. Yeah. Eh.
1: It's kind of neutral. And I don't like calling it a failure. And that was brought up in that conversation I was talking about. Failure is a hard word for me. I, I just I can't say this football team is a failure. I'm going to classify it in a different way. The Notre Dame football season, if they go 9-3, is not a failure. I know they didn't make the playoff. They didn't make a New Year's Six Bowl game, which are obviously two goals of any football team. But I will say this. The way I judge this football team, that in the last two years, the program has taken a step back from the day Brian Kelly left. And – There is no reason why he cannot get back to that point, if not go further. The recruiting of Marcus Freeman and his staff are off the chart. It's very, very exciting. But you have to develop. And you have to put the players in the best position to succeed. And you have to teach them how to execute. (laughs) So I will say it's not a failure, but it is a step back from the day Brian Kelly left. And I hope it can get back beyond that? I mean, Brian's last five years, like you said, he averaged 10 wins per game, and I believe only one time in those five years, he needed a bowl game to, to get, get to, to the 10th win. Just imagine this. And again, trying to classify this season, I think, is difficult. But if they win their next two, they're nine and 9-3. If they lose the bowl game, they have the same record as last year. <sighs> when you could argue that Notre Dame did not have a power five starting quarterback on their roster to get to nine wins. Buckner and Pine are marginal power five starting quarterbacks. If they are in the Mac, if sure. they're in the Sunbelt, I can see that. I just don't think they're power five starting quarterback. So if you won nine games with them and you won nine games with Sam Hartman and you had the best left tackle in college football. According to Mel Kiper, you got the number two running back in the NFL draft. You had a defense that played very well, and you're going to end up with nine wins. Again, not a failure, but that's a step back from where we were with BK before he left to LSU.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just, it just, it's like you said, it's not a failure, but it does, it's a, it's disappointing. There was just so much promise, and and maybe too much was put on to Sam Hartman because we all did. I mean, I did too. And imagine, it was like, oh, all these touchdowns, he's so great, he's, it's going to be this benefit and, and, and a, a, an advantage in every game. But then it seemed like there were so many games that came out that it was like, oh, well, it, but against Clemson, but against whoever, Louisville or whoever it was they were playing, NC State or Duke or whoever, he played really bad against them. He had, you know, three interceptions against them every time he played. He got sacked six times every time he played them. And it was like, well, we kind of lost sight of all of that. We got so excited about this, you know, shiny new toy and all the touchdowns and the ACC record and everything. And it's like, well, he had a lot of touchdowns, but he also didn't have a lot of wins or a lot of um, success, I guess.
1: And they were one second away from beating Ohio State. Who is still number one in the college football playoff rankings. And from where we were at that moment to where we are now, hard to imagine. Really is hard to imagine. I did ask this on Twitter last week and got some really interesting responses. And this is just off the top of your head. If magically Notre Dame got to replay the three losses, Mm -hmm. would any of those losses turn into victories? So I gave people the choice, which of the three losses would most likely turn into a win? Ohio State, Louisville, Clemson, or the other choice was they would still lose all three. First, let me ask, which do you think won? Because I was shocked by the answer.
2: Uh, what, what was the, the way the questions were structured? Again, say that.
1: So which of the losses, if the game was played again, would they be most likely to win? Ohio State, Louisville, Clemson, or they would still lose all three?
2: Hmm, And you're saying which one, uh, they would still lose all three? Is that what the choice was? Or was that what the fan said?
1: Ohio State won. People feel like they would have beaten Ohio State. That would be my choice, actually. Yeah. Hmm.
2: And that's because of the mistakes made in coaching i I think there could have that could have been the deciding factor in that one i mean it was in a sense you know all it doesn't come down to one play but in that that sense they had opportunities but it literally came down to that play and you didn't have enough guys on the field and so you you have a chance to redo that and you got your other guy out there and you're loaded and and ready for it then they had at least had a chance
1: i wonder if i would have asked the question differently like, for example, had I said they would have played Ohio State again the next day. Yeah. Or if you play Ohio State today.
2: Sure. A couple of months later. Oh, yeah. Different. I don't think Notre Dame no touches way. them. No. Right I don't even now. think it would have been a, a one-score game. It w- no. would have been a blowout, probably. Ohio
1: State has gotten better. Yes. Notre Dame has regressed. Yes. So, if you replay it now, no shot. You play it the next day, then maybe you feel like Notre Dame could pull it out. But, yeah, it was tight voting. That one with 39%. I think Louisville was 33 To me... Louisville lost to Pittsburgh. Ugh. who's two and eight? You just feel like if the team is prepared better and I'm using Marcus Freeman's words, then they win that football game.
2: They, they lost that game that before game. they even took the first snap, like that just being there in person and feeling it and seeing it it was so dead. They were so dead at that point, and there was just no juice at all
1: mm. Allison Hayes from ABC fifty-seven, Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. We will take a timeout. Do you have the Pac twelve network? You may have to look into that. We'll tell you why coming up as SportsBeat continues on WSBT.
0: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio nine sixty. WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
1: I'm also joined by ABC 57's Allison Hayes on this Tuesday, and we look ahead to Saturday. ABC 57 kickoff will be live at the University of Notre Dame.
2: That's right, 10 to noon. We have a really great feature-based show this week, which we... Haven't always been able to get into really good long-form storytelling, and we've got some really good ones, including a great one our Levon Whitaker is working on with uh, Jeremiah Love, and this amazing tradition that he does with his dad before every game. His dad comes down, they find each other, and he whispers into his ear, into his helmet, and and it's just like a really moving thing, uh, so you don't want to miss that. I I have a great story on a local kid who, not Notre Dame related, but – it's we tied it in and, and I'll have a surprise to, to make this tie in connection to Notre Dame, but his mother was in a car accident and was in a coma for five years Ugh. and she woke up and she is I mean, she's, you know, suffered brain damage and she's got a long road ahead of her, but they told her they told the family pull the plug. It's. she's never going to be the same if she survives. She won't breathe on her own. She won't do any of these things. And she is breaking and defying all of the odds. It's just amazing. Uh, You don't want to miss that. And then the special connection that we tied in with Notre Dame is really cool. Something different than how we uh, aired it originally.
1: Okay, yeah. very good. That is going to be from 10 to noon.
2: 10 to noon, ABC. Also, we have also a special story on the Notre Dame fight song, too. That's really cool. You don't want to miss that one because it's like the 100-year anniversary of the the Notre Dame fight song or something along those lines. Okay. The-
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like we're going to have to have Tom Rinaldi tissues. Yes. Watching the we show We got some Saturday. emotional
2: ones, <laughs> for sure. All
1: right, check it out. ABC 57's kickoff show Saturday from 10 to noon live from the University of Notre Dame. So we get through Wake Forest, then we get to the season finale at Stanford, and we now know that the game will kick off at 7 o'clock Eastern time, and this Notre Dame-Stanford game, normally on Fox or ABC, you know, very easy to find. Well, check your local listings. Used to be a a saying that we heard all the time. Notre Dame and Stanford is going to be on the Pac-12 Network And apparently this will be the final ever live Pac-12 football game on this network, which is going away because teams are going elsewhere except for Washington State and Oregon State. So I guess have you looked to check... Do you have the Pac-12 network?
2: Wah, wah, wah. Wah. No, we do not. And uh, I read on social media. I wrote these down because people are going to be looking and trying to figure it out. So uh, I heard that if you have Amazon Prime, you have access to an app called Freebie. And apparently Pac-12 is available on that. But we have Amazon Prime. And my husband did some digging. And he said, no, he doesn't see anything about that. So I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, I also heard Dish Spectrum. FUBU and Sling all may have it. So you, if you don't have those, you could even try it, do like the free trial, and then we've been looking into what bars locally will have it. I know for sure the linebacker will. Of course. And O'Rourke's <laughs> will. We've gotten that confirmed. I have reached out to a bunch of other local bars, too, to, to find out. So we'll, we'll have that on our show on Saturday as well. But we'll try to help you find it so you can watch it.
1: If the game was on an Australian channel, the linebacker would right. <laughs> the game somehow and some way, Yeah, FUBU, I guess, is going to be my best option to watch the game. I'm going to borrow someone's oh, there you go. username yes. and password in order to watch this game. But man, Pac twelve network. Well and
2: We're- what is even crazier is ESPN had the option on it, I guess, and they chose Cal USC or excuse me, Cal UCLA instead of Notre yeah. Dame Stanford. Which, yeah, that's not a great matchup, but it's still Notre Dame. You think you'd get a bigger audience for any Notre Dame yeah. game.
1: If you're not a Notre Dame fan, I mean, why would you want yeah. to watch Notre Dame-Stanford? It's just, it's it happens every year. It's going to be a throwaway game, so that's tough. That's surprising ESPN went a different direction. If, if they wanted to bid on the TV contract, maybe it would have been in their best interest. Say, hey, we'll, we'll <laughs> right. take that game. All right, so just check your streaming service, what cable or satellite provider you have and start looking now for the Pac-12 network and if you don't have it, start making plans if you want to watch, if you want to watch this game Saturday at 7. Of course, we've got it right here on WSBT radio and the price is right. I mean, it's free to listen to <laughs> Paul <Burmeister. laughs> And Ryan Harris. Those guys
2: are so great too on the radio. By the way, I mean I love to listen to them. I, I sometimes I've even tried from inside of the press box to tune in so I can listen to their radio broadcast along with what I'm watching because I just I like their the way they call a game.
1: For all the people out there that say they need to be doing the game on TV, you know what? They're good, but leave them alone. They do a great job right. on radio. <laughs> They're just fine. On the radio, maybe NBC will make adjustments to TV next year, but leave Paul and Ryan alone. They're doing a great job on radio. Okay, Marcus Freeman was asked this week about what young guys he wants to see more of at the end of the year, and he mentioned... The freshman wide receivers. Who is on your list?
2: Uh, the freshman offensive lineman. <laughs> that O-line is banged up. And right now, there's a possibility of three of those guys out. Uh, still in concussion protocol for Zeke Corral. But uh, Billy Schroth is a redshirt freshman. And he's going to be filling in for Rocco. Uh, he filled in for him um, on the final six plays versus Clemson. But other than that, he doesn't really have a ton of experience. He was the number five Interior offensive lineman and 169th overall prospect, according to 247. And then um, redshirt freshman Ashton Craig. We did yep. see him in, in against Clemson. But that's your third string guy right there. And um, that's a tough call. You know, I mean, that's a tough position to be in, but... He did the best he could. It was not a great outing for the O-line, especially late in that game. Um, but they were you know, kind of figuring it out on the fly. So I want to see those two guys come in and just have really great performances. I don't know if that's realistic or not, but that's that would be my hope.
1: I love watching Josh Burnham. He's going to continue to get opportunities at defensive end. I think the wide receivers are the place to go. This yes. position has to continue to develop going into next year. We know about Rico Flores Jr. and Jaden Greathouse, but Braylon James, highly thought of coming out of high school. Obviously, he's a little further behind these two. I mean, he has a catch this year, and someone made this point to me that is in college football. Don't ever underestimate you can teach a guy like three routes and just let him focus on those, and if you need to get him on the field, you can. So that is something that is intriguing. I'd love to see him if he has earned the opportunity to get on the field to see a little more action, but I need to see more of those freshman wide receivers because they're going to be probably a big part of the turnaround of this offense from being inconsistent to consistent in 2024. So if you were a member of the college football playoff ranking committee, and they will have their latest rankings tonight at nine o'clock in between that, College basketball doubleheader from the United Center on ESPN. Who would be your top four?
2: I have Georgia at number one. I know they haven't necessarily played the toughest schedule. They've had a few uh, close calls, but I just think they're just a, a really good, complete team. Um, whereas Ohio State, I think, I mean, they're still a good team, no doubt, but I moved Ohio State to three. I, I think they still are just going to get the, their quarterback play is is like getting the job done but not spectacular. Michigan's my number two team. I know they've played cupcakes for pretty much their entire schedule, but they are absolutely dominating everyone, anyone that they play. And, and they were dominant against... Penn State, I mean, look, Penn State's offensive coordinator gets fired after that game. And then number four for me, this is a tough one. You've got Washington, Oregon, FSU, but for me, I'm taking the Huskies. Um, they picked up their second straight win over a ranked opponent, beating Utah, and the Huskies now have wins over three ranked teams. That's two more than Florida State. And FSU, they've got a, a pretty weak schedule. I like they Next up, they have three and seven FCS team, North Alabama. And, uh, you know, what are you going to see against that? So I'm taking those four. Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State three, and Washington four.
1: Okay, very good. I've got my top six coming up next hour, so Uh. I will save that until then. Finally, how do you best describe where we are with the Michigan sign-stealing scandal, including the Big Ten suspending head coach Jim Harbaugh the last three games?
2: Oh, I have to admit, I kind of love all of this drama. (laughs) It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Um, I have a quote for you, and and assuming this is accurate. Now, I did find it online, so I I didn't do a ton, a ton of fact-checking, but I found this quote online, and I think it nails the head on the coffin. So when this is the quote. When someone uncovers a scandal in their company, I don't think they can say, I didn't know that was going on. They're just saying they're too dumb to do their job. And if they really are too dumb, why are they getting paid millions of dollars to do it? They know what's going on. You know who said that? Bo Schembechler.
0: (laughs) In his book,
2: Bo's Lasting Lessons. Amen to that. I don't care if you agree or disagree. There are rules. There are laws. And- You follow them or you pay the consequence for it. And to say that you're the head coach of a team and you don't know that you have a guy on your staff whose job is to go sign stealing and then is standing next to you on the sidelines and standing next to your players and your coaches, every coach on that team had to know, who is this guy? it's he just is this genius i mean yes i know he was known as being a code cracker and all of that stuff but or at least he sold them if that's what they're trying to say is that is that you know it was all on him he came up with all of this on his own and oh, that's just that's insane to me it, whether you like it or not you're the head coach it is your responsibility to know what's happening on your staff, on your coaching staff. So don't tell me you didn't know about it. And if whether you did or not, you knew about it, there's a consequence. You didn't know about it, that's even worse. Yep. Either way, you, that's, you can't have that happen.
1: I'm going to defend Michigan from one standpoint, and only one standpoint. The argument is Michigan created an unfair advantage for what they have been alleged to have done. And that is going to another stadium, another campus, and using video equipment to steal signs. So if that is creating an unfair playing field, can't we argue waiting until the Friday before a noon game to suspend Harbaugh always on the plane flying might be kind of creating an unfair situation for Michigan? Yes. If you're going to point your finger, you probably shouldn't retaliate in the same fashion
2: exactly you know what I mean and there's no need for that I mean and why was why is the big 10 stepping in anyway let the NCAA do the investigation don't you think I mean they, yeah. it's you're innocent until proven guilty so they're saying that they're basically siding with with the NCAA investigation and that they're wrong
1: they have to have evidence yes in their possession that 100% implicates Michigan in this situation, or they wouldn't have done that, right. in my opinion. So the part that's just kind of comical is how the whole Michigan world is trying to create for all of us that they're the victims. Right. The head coach gets suspended, and then the interim head coach has this emotional, you know, speech after the game on Fox and it's like Jim Harbaugh died or something in yeah. the way they're acting. <laughs> And just some of the Michigan media, you know, defending Michigan in all these ways and trying to point their fingers at Ohio State and Purdue and all these other places. Michigan absolutely created this for themselves from everything that we understand. If all this that is alleged is true, they did this to themselves. So trying to create that they are the victims is kind of sad and pathetic let me end by this. They have a hell of a football team. Yes,
2: they, they didn't have, need that. No,
1: they did not. That's what makes need me this. sick.
2: And it's going to hurt these kids. All these guys that are given everything they've got, and they're so good, and they're playing so well, they didn't really need that advantage. I mean, maybe they did. I mean, we saw against TCU in the playoff that they didn't have those signs, and it backfired on them. But. I just don't think that they needed that this year. You needed to sign steel for Central Michigan. That's the one that kills me. It's like, come on, already. You know, yeah. I, I can see you're trying to sign steel against Ohio State to give yourself an advantage. But when you're playing inferior opponents, and especially the majority of their schedule is inferior opponents, yeah. why even put yourself in that position? And then you're going to possibly have all these wins vacated. You're going to get everyone fired. You, you might n- not be bowl eligible. I'm what I think is interesting. Is how quickly they've moved on it. When we see all of these other things take forever, and it's a year or two years later that oh now they're going to vacate the wins, and this they're I mean I don't know if it's a witch hunt or not, but I mean they're there is they are not resting, they're not waiting, they're trying. It seems like they're trying to prevent them, if anything, from winning the Big Ten championship and from getting into the playoff. Is it because they're afraid they're going to win and then they're going to have to take it back? or I I don't know.
1: Yeah, Central Michigan, they're playing Michigan State. If Michigan needs to steal signs from Michigan State, in fact, they could probably give Michigan State the plays (laughs) and it would not have mattered in that particular game. All right, we'll take a timeout. Twitter question of the day is coming up. Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you on WSBT. Carpenters Union.
0: This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: All right, 6 o'clock at WSBT South Bend, ABC 57's Allison Hayes, Darren Pritchett with you on this Tuesday evening. My Twitter X question of the day from yesterday was this. Of these choices, what will be the top storyline in the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game? So I just threw these out. Hartman, against his former team, throws two or more touchdown passes. I tweaked it a little bit for Twitter, so two or more touchdown passes. Number two, the Irish run for 200 yards. Number three, kind of the same old, same old. The offense will still be up and down. So your vote would be
2: being overly optimistic, I'm going to go with Sam Hartman throws for two or more touchdowns against his former team. They write the ship. Everybody's happy and feels great about it. Is that realistic? I don't know. I hope it's not offense still up and down. I'd like to see both the Irish run for 200 yards and Hartman throws for three touchdowns. I think that's possible, uh, but their defense, I mean, they're not great. It's not like a stellar defense, but they're ranked, what, like 51 in, in uh, sacks, and they're, but they're giving up 147 in rushing yards per game. So I think the, the run offense has a good shot at having a good game against them too.
1: Okay, here are the results. Third place, 21.7% said the Irish run for 200 yards. Okay. Second of the voting, 22.6% Hartman throws for two or more touchdowns. And this just tells you where the Irish fan base is. Ugh. The top storyline of the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game will be that the Irish offense will still have up and down moments in this game. That got 55.7% wow. of the vote. I think we had nearly 300 votes on that.
2: If it was a better team, I would I would agree with that. I think we're all just a little salty, maybe, <laughs> still feeling a little negative. Nancy, uh, that was a tough bye week, uh, but I think against this defense, I think Notre Dame offense should do do better. I, I don't. I think it'll be up, not down.
1: Okay, let's hope so. All right, so today's question, which you can find on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat, which of these four choices do you believe would help the Notre Dame offense the most? The obvious answer is all four. Yeah. But there are not five choices on Twitter. So here's what I'm offering. Which would help the Notre Dame offense the most? Get back to the play-action pass game, rely more on Estime, Better offensive line play or improved wide receiver execution.
2: Uh, this one has got me shook. I have been thinking about it all day, and I keep going back and forth. And yes, uh, all four would be uh, my uh, my option. But I think I think if you the play action pass game is gonna if if you allow Estimate to do what he does. Not solely rely on him, but play that complimentary football that he's talked about wanting to do. The other things are going to come into place, right? Like, it, it, the O-line play is not going to be better this week with all the injuries. So, my concern with that is Sam is going to be scrambling on his heels, not comfortable. And so, that that is a concern. But I think if you can... I also think they need more tempo. I think I've said that last week. I think he needs to be running and gunning it and and not thinking so much. But uh, I'll go with the play action.
1: Okay. Well, in the first hour of voting, we've got 151 votes. And we have anywhere between 11% and 45% as the votes cast right now for the various categories. So there is not a majority. It's really split up amongst the four so we'll see how this plays out if you'd like to vote go to my twitter x account at 960 sports wow a lot of people are voting just as i'm sitting here 20 awesome. more people voted so this has caught the attention Of the Irish fan base Okay again ABC 57's kickoff show is
2: 10 to noon on ABC 57 We will be live uh, From campus We do our show at Purcell Pavilion I think we might be moving it back inside one last time It's kind of It's nice weather But it's going to be really cold in the morning I don't know so we'll see, but uh, we'll be inside, and we we just have a, another really great show in store. It's one of those ones where you can kind of flip back and forth, and whenever you come back to us, we're always going to be talking Notre Dame, and we always have something different that you won't find anywhere else.
1: All right, very good. So Allison's show is 10 to noon on ABC 57. And at noon, Game Day Sports Be brought to you by Bud Light here on WSBT Radio. As we've got Plato to talk about with the Fighting Irish football team from noon until 230 here on WSBT Radio. Have a great rest of the week. Have some great meetings, and we will see you on Saturday. (laughs) All right, thank you. That is Allison Hayes from ABC 57. I'm Darren Pritchett. We'll talk some college football playoff rankings. Mike Singer joins me to talk Notre Dame football recruiting and some Sizzler picks on the way here on WSBT.
0: Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT wsbtradio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on Twitch, as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated Insider Mike Singer.
1: We are talking Notre Dame football recruiting on Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT. And also on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel, we'd love for you to subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel and like this particular video. He's Mike Singer. I'm Darren Pritchett. Let's get started, Mike, with Cree Thomas. He is someone that went to a high school that is the same as a pretty good player on the current Fighting Irish football team. I'll let you fill in the details, but he has a commitment date coming
4: up. Yeah, and... uh... You know, following the visits here, Darren, it does look pretty good for the Fighting Irish Cree Thomas from Phoenix Brophy Prep. Uh, I believe when Thomas would have been a freshman, um, Ben Morrison was a senior, so not a bad player to learn from. If you're a freshman defensive back, looking up at uh, Ben Morrison. So uh, Thomas is 6'1", 170 pounds. He is in the 2025 class, making him a high school junior um, and during his recruiting process, which, again, it's, it's pretty early days. I mean, he hasn't even finished up his junior year of high school. Um, Arizona State, Arizona, Oregon, Wisconsin, Cal, um, some of the schools that are after him thus far. Um, and uh, he visited um, South Bend for the USC and Pittsburgh games and um, went ahead and, and announced this week that he will be making his commitment public on the 20th. Um, so, you know, I logged a prediction, Darren. So, look, sometimes we look smart on these predictions. Sometimes we look really dumb. This prediction for Thomas went in back in April. So, I feel like, you know, it's, you know, when I say for maybe the radio audience, it sounds familiar. Like, Mike, when you mean predictions, like for the On3 profiles on our website, um, you know, we can make these, you know, crystal ball predictions and um, you know, basically way for these insiders to make their pick on where we think these kids are going to go. So back in April, I picked Thompson, Notre Dame. So if he picks Notre Dame, um, you know, I'll look smart for a moment, but if not, you know, it'll just be a normal, normal day for me. But, uh, um, yeah, Crete Thomas, I, I, you gotta think Notre Dame looks good going into that decision. And, um, he's, He's not a highly ranked guy, number 372 overall player, number 43 corner for the on-three-industry ranking. But, yeah, it's it's still early rankings. I mean, there's so many prospects when they're a junior or even a sophomore where some of those rankings happen, Darren, where it's like, oh, wow, they're ranked so high, and then as more players get ranked, they drop, right? I mean, if you only have like 150 players ranked initially, and then your next batch is 700 players get ranked or something, then naturally guys are going to fall. And then you have someone like Cree Thomas where it's like it's so early, he can rise. So I'm not worried about the rankings right now um, in the slightest. Um, The more important thing to mention, Darren, is that he's someone who the Notre Dame staff really coveted, um, and they want him badly in their class.
1: Mike, we always know we're dealing with high school kids, so things change rather quickly. So those predictions are predictions. Hey, Christopher Burgess is another player that is on your radar. First, remind us who Burgess is and what does he have coming up.
4: We've been talking about Burgess for a while, Darren. Um, you know, every time I kind of throw out like a hey, Justin Scott, like Notre Dame was not able to land that elite five-star caliber defensive lineman from Chicago land, but there's another one in the 2025 class, so the next recruiting cycle that Notre Dame might be able to get, not ranked as highly. Um, as Scott, but uh, 126 overall player number 11, Edge, for the industry ranking. And, uh, again, he's also in the 2025 class, 6'4", 230 pounds, from Chicago Simeon. He's announcing, he posted this this morning on his Twitter page, he will be announcing his commitment on January 6th. And we've still got a couple months, uh, but you look at Notre Dame, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, and Colorado, I think are the five schools that are probably – um, have the best bet to land him right now. Um, he, you know, I think it, he the last time that he visited Notre Dame would have been, let's see, for the Ohio State game. I believe he also went um, to Colorado in the fall, but he spent the Notre Dame a total of six times. And, you know, when you compare Burgess with Justin Scott, the big problem with Justin Scott was that when you followed his visits, right, my term follow the visits, Um, he didn't go to Notre Dame very often. I think it was three times over a span of like 20 months or something crazy. Burgess has been to Notre Dame six times in a year or something like that. So I think that Notre Dame's in a pretty good spot And my Sources on the Irish side of things, Darren Concur. He hasn't made a decision yet, uh, but Notre Dame is – is looking to be in a decent spot with Chris Burgess right now, so keep an eye on this young man.
1: I would say that just looking where Burgess comes from, that's not normally a school that profiles in line with Notre Dame. So pretty impressive, uh, you know, kid from Chicago Simeon Public League, kid coming looking at Notre Dame. I mean, that's that's pretty doggone impressive, and shows you that he's taking academics really seriously. So I like the sound of that.
3: Okay. Yeah,
4: I, I mean. There, but before you continue, like I'll go back to Jalen Sneed. Notre Dame does not go into Hilton Head, South Carolina, playing many recruits. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, Notre Dame always has that national profile, um, that you know always have and always will. Um, but I think the difference in Marcus Freeman recruiting is that you know, if the kid's in Chicago, he doesn't need to go to a school with the word saint in front of it, you know, or, or if they're going into Florida. They don't need to go, um, you know, to a school with Catholic in the name to recruit players. Like, they'll go anywhere, any high school, um, you know. Maybe sometimes they're beating their head against the wall, but, I mean, I, I think a proof has been in the pudding so far.
1: Lewis Snicks was a prime example of going down to Florida and getting a kid that doesn't come from that profile school. And, you know, he, uh, yeah. he did very well here. Okay, so now let's get to this weekend, Mike. The Fighting hours are taking on Wake Forest, Sam Hartman facing his old team. Uh, we're very late in the year. I'm assuming a lot of the kids looking at Notre Dame, their football seasons are over. I would think a majority are at this point. So put into perspective the importance and what might happen this weekend with visits for the Wake Forest game.
4: Yeah. So like you mentioned, there's going to be prospects who maybe they just lost this past Friday. So they, they, um, you know, their weekend opened up a little bit more. They don't have to watch film on Saturday. Um, so that's definitely a factor. Um, like with Deuce Knight, um, Notre Dame's quarterback commit in the 2025 class, we'll talk about more shortly. Um, he is now able to visit, um, cause they just got knocked out this past Friday. Um, so Deuce Knight, uh, High school junior Notre Dame commits number 46 overall player, number four quarterback per the entry ranking. He tweeted Monday that he'll be at the game, and it's really good for him to be on campus. Darren, it's not a major recruiting weekend. Like, Notre Dame really pushed USC and Ohio State for those big visit weekends. Like, they say they're twenty five targets, and even the few remaining twenty twenty four guys, like, hey, if you're going to visit, we really want you for those games. And I think some Notre Dame fans might be like, well, why not spread it out more so that you can spend more time with so-and-so player? I've got that question before. There's a couple things. The atmosphere for USC and Ohio State, Darren, can you compare that to Pitt and Wake Forest games? Like, I mean, the atmosphere in Notre Dame is always going to be great, but Ohio State is like, you know, those weekends are like nothing you've ever seen before, right?
1: That was impressive. That was a big one.
4: So that's that's kind of the thought process, and also those visits, like Notre Dame is able to schedule to work out to everyone, you know, all those top priority targets. They're spending time with Marcus Freeman, their position coach, the recruiting staffers. All that that's never really an issue. Um, and yeah, those visits you get to talk to a coach for ten fifteen minutes, but you're there it's for the game day atmosphere. Those spring visits where um spring summer visits and even in the winter after the season's over those are more of the you know we're gonna uh, get a full experience of the campus and have all these coaches meetings like that's when those things take place the fall the game day visits are about experiencing Notre Dame Stadium so getting back on track to this weekend you do have deuce night we'll have the full list you know and, and confirm that throughout the week at blue and so if you're wanting to know every single player coming in. We're not going to cover that in this uh, interview, Darren, but uh, just a few names. Kingston Wassa from St. John Bosco, Bellflower, California. Uh, Top 100 prospect in the 2024 class. He is committed to Notre Dame. Uh, Picked the Irish over USC, Ohio State, and others back in the summer. I think it's a good sign that he's now taking his third visit from Southern California out to Notre Dame. If there's any concern about him I I think it's really put to bed at this point and not that there was any signs of like oh he's going to decommit but I mean Notre Dame going into these powerhouse programs in Southern California and landing some of these kids and uh, holding on to them has proven to be difficult over the years I mean think back to CJ Williams a couple years ago committed to Notre Dame Um, he was a big time receiver at a modern day one of the best programs ever in the country What happened, he didn't get to Notre Dame in the fall and then flipped to USC before signing day. The difference being follow those visits, guys. Kingston now visiting third time this fall. So I think Notre Dame looks really good to hold on to him. And I mean, Notre Dame has such big plans for him. And my Fighting Irish sources believe that there's a decent chance that he could start as a true freshman. I mean, a lot of turnover at the linebacker position for the Irish after this season. Kingston has a good chance to play a tall this upcoming season. And then last but not least is Ivan Taylor. So, Darren, we talking about just about, you know, every couple of weeks on this show, um, you know, the son of Ike Taylor, you know, uh, defensive back for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a decade, I believe he won two Super Bowls. His son is Ivan, um, public school in, in, in the Orlando, Florida area, West Orange High in Winter Garden. Uh, Big-time safety, number 103, overall player number eight, uh, player at that position. It was just on campus for the Pitt game. A couple of weeks later, he's going to be back um, for that Wake Forest game. And he told me after um, the Pitt game that Notre Dame was his number one school. And you don't see that a ton where a player just outright says, hey, this is my favorite school. They'll usually kind of play it coy. Uh, but he was like, yeah, Notre Dame's – Darren, I even asked Ivan Taylor. kind of guy. this is a four-star Big-time prospect, great you know NFL bloodlines. I was like, hey, where do you want to go for other visits after this Notre Dame week well, says, You know, USC, I would like to see, maybe like to see Wisconsin. But really, I just want to get back to Notre Dame, and, and he certainly will be this weekend. So, um, Ivan Taylor definitely looking like the headliner for this, this recruiting weekend.
1: Mike Singer, Darren Pritchett with you. Our Fighting Irish Football Recruiting Update on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel and on WSBT Radio. You mentioned Deuce Knight a couple of moments ago, 2025 quarterback commit. Why don't you offer some thoughts, and I think you might have a video as well to kind of offer perspective Deuce's season down there.
4: Yeah. So, uh, again, for, for folks watching on YouTube, you know, you'll get to see these highlights. These are very exciting, and for for Darren's radio audience, um, you know, you'll just have to. To take our word for it, you could definitely um, find his his highlights uh, on his huddle page. You could just Google Deuce Knight Huddle, um, and those junior highlights will pop up. So, he posted his, you know, his junior season is now over, so he posted his, you know, eight-minute highlight tape. And if I remember correctly, this is all from his time at George County in Looseville, Mississippi. He started the year playing three games at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, so he transferred from George County to Lipscomb over the summer, played in three games, completed 57 of 108 passes for 627 yards, two touchdowns, and also added three rushing scores, um, and then ended up transferring back to George County, uh, had to sit out a couple games just due to Mississippi transfer rules, and then in seven games, 84 attempts or excuse me, 84 completions, on 108, 157 pass attempts, 1,420 yards, 15 touchdowns to just two picks, 64 carries, 340 yards, eight touchdowns, uh, and did have four fumbles lost. But, um, Darren, he just – it, it, it kind of looks effortless. And, uh, he, I mean, the competition is, is not bad at all, uh, you know, you know, you know, remember that rant a few weeks ago, Darren, when I talking about high school competition. But I will say, I mean, he's playing against Division one players regularly. Um, and I remember, you know, when I went to go see him in early October, talking to him about kind of how he describes himself as a quarterback. He's like, listen, I'm just a quarterback who is gifted with this running ability. I mean, he truly is a guy where it's like he can sit in the pocket and dice you up. That's what he would like to do first, but he can run the football. Um, and uh, yeah, he's impressive. I talked, when I, also, during that visit, I talked to his high school coach on improvements that he's seen in Boost from sophomore to junior season. And he said the biggest thing was the quickening up his release. And, you know, it was a longer winded, just entire throwing motion from him deciding I'm going to throw the football to releasing the football it was longer. And he tightened that up. Um, and, uh, yeah, Darren, he was great. Gino Gadulli was just at his high school this past Friday. I just told me that Gadulli was really, really impressed with what he saw. And it was a two-point losing effort, 41-39, to that score was. And Deuce was impressive in front of his future quarterback's coach. In that game, 21 of 33 pass attempts for 291 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Also added 86 rushing yards and a score. Um, in that context. So now actually we're seeing a little lips from the Academy. So I lied on that earlier. So it does have some of his Tennessee highlights in there, um, as well. So yeah, big time player. And for folks watching on YouTube right now on this little rushing score, do you see that guy standing next to the goalpost in that burgundy shirt, man? Do you see that? I do. Okay. That's me. That was me at that game. I know. I remember that play. So, um, yeah, big time, Mike Singer making the uh, making the film. So yeah, that, that's Deuce Knight. I couldn't be more on, more high on him as a player and as a young man. I think their names getting a really good one Darren.
1: I don't want time to fly by, but based on what we're expecting next year, with probably a, a quarterback being brought in from the portal to compete for the starting job, if not win it, when we get to 2025, Mike, I mean it's gonna be hopefully a wonderful competition if everybody stays. I mean, you think about the quarterbacks that could be on the roster. Uh, Mike, that's a situation where it's not a moment where people always say, "Well, if you don't have one quarterback or you don't if you have two, you have none." Yeah. That's not the case with Notre Dame. If these kids develop the way we think, man, that competition is going to be special.
4: The quarterback position always fascinating at Notre Dame. What they do this upcoming season, uh I- yeah, like, do they take another Sam Hartman where it's like, hey, you're coming in to be the guy, and we're just kind of going to go for it this year? Or do they bring in a depth piece, you know, who could be the starter, could be the two? It's it's truly an open competition between Angelia and Minchie and this transfer, and maybe even Carr, um, depending on how quickly he can get up to speed as a true freshman. Because, yeah, I, I would like – that And then when you go to 2025, it's truly wide open. It's, it's anybody yeah. at that point. Um, and this whole four scholarship quarterbacks thing, while I do think Marcus Freeman is kind of using that as an excuse to really just improve the room overall, um, I do like it. And I think that they will stick at four. I don't think Minshew or Angeli would leave Um Minchie wouldn't make sense. He's just going into his sophomore year. Usually right. it's fun. You're, you're not expecting. Jelly would be the one to keep an eye on. It's, dude, I've always said this. when it's Your junior year, you're starting or you're gone. That's just how it goes. I do think Angeli might stay, though, because um, I, I think that he loves Notre Dame. Um, and even if you sit in your junior season – he redshirted it as a freshman. He still has two years to start at Notre Dame for a fourth and fifth year. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be something interesting to kind of keep an eye on there. And that's, I mean, Marcus Freeman knows how to give the media content. I don't know if he's doing it on purpose, but, he, you know, he's doing it. We have so much to talk about this off-season season with, with the quarterback position. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate him giving us content of announcing publicly that, hey, we're going to take a chance for quarterback. Who wants in, basically, like it. I'm fascinated, my friend.
1: Mike, what's happening right now at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com?
4: Lots of recruiting coverage, lots of you know, coverage on your fighting Irish. I was just talking to Tyler Horka uh, on Tuesday afternoon, and he, he was on the way to women's basketball media availability. So, I mean, you know, football, basketball, men's and women's, we got the recruiting coverage locked down. Tons of stuff always going on our Blue and Gold YouTube channel. Um, so, I mean, if you're Fighting Irish fan, blueandgold.com, I mean, it's the place to be. We definitely have you covered wall-to-wall.
1: Mike, thank you so much for the visit. Greatly appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Dan. That is Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Sports Sportspeak continues next on WSBT.